Hello, and welcome to Wait, What? A podcast for the Savage Critic website. I'm Jeff Lester, and today, Graham McMillan and I, in part two of this week's discussion, will be covering critical reception to Cry for Justice number one, Captain America Reborn number one, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch's recent work on Fantastic Four, and the works of Jeff Loeb. So, hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Let's, let's talk comics. Can I uh, start by saying I'm very sorry, Marvel Comics? No, you cannot. Let's move I, on. I have, I have a reason for this. Yes? I realized that Marvel Comics put out Reborn this week. Mm-hmm. As we record, because I have no idea when this is going to go up. And no one's talking about it. Everyone's talking about Cry for Justice. Yes. Cry for Justice has totally taken all the oxygen out of the room for Reborn. I don't know if it's because Captain America came out two weeks ago and that's when everyone talks about it, or whether Cry for Justice was just that bad or that controversial or whatever. No one is talking about Reborn, and it stuns me. Certainly nobody on the Savage Critic website is talking about Reborn. I, I love that almost all of us, with the exception of yourself, I believe, have posted about Cry for Justice. I know. I, I'm actually thinking about going out and getting an issue so and then critiquing the ads or something. Because really, <laughs> it's just, I love the idea that everybody is going to like pile on this book by the time that it's through. Uh, and the I- crazy thing is, Cry for Justice is, I mean, it's just not a good comic. And it, it's, it's so not a good comic that it really does make me think, am I wrong in liking other James Robinson comics? Wow. It's it's that it, the writing is just that tone deaf. It's appalling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I almost feel like we're all being too cruel about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible comic, but I feel like at this point, it's become known for being worse than it actually is. Uh, yeah, I haven't read it, but I'm kind of sh- I'm kind of shocked that there's that much. Of, I mean, what I thought was great was you know Douglas had that one panel comment, which was so funny. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was just delightful. Um, and then and then pretty much as everyone went along, we'll see. I, I can't imagine. I think every, it's just, it, it'll blow over by issue two and, you know, but it does help. I mean, between that and, and the line gay for justice, I mean, you really kind of, you feel like you have to talk about it, you know? But it's amazing because Reborn, I, I just, I think part of Reborn might be that just that it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you read it? I did read it, in fact, yeah. It's it's fine. Like, it's not bad, and it's not good. It's just fine. And I think that's one of the reasons no one's talking about it. There's, it's such a first episode, and it's such a... Maybe it's just because I did that whole, this is what they've done with Captain America. Like, there was absolutely no surprise in it whatsoever. Yeah, no, you totally that, did do that for me. I, I read your thing, and then I read this. I'm like, huh, Graham was really right. And this is just this big setup thing where I think, yeah... It, yeah, exactly. And I was like, I pretty much have no opinion on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have an opinion or two. Can can I talk about my Please opinion? Sure. Yes. My opinion is that, and in order to make the opinion about this book, I have to talk about something else quickly, which is that um, Miller and Hitch's Ultimates was a little bit like like the Three Matrix movies, you know. Um, the first and, volume and the, it started well and then ended up terribly ended up horribly like seriously by the time that I read that last volume that very last issue of Ultimates I it was kind of like at the the end of that last Matrix movie where it's like 
I don't want to see the Matrix. I don't want to think about the Matrix. I don't want to look at Keanu Reeves again. I don't want to deal with Larry Fishburne. Like, and and it's kind of like that. Like that last issue, I was. I, I think that's why I've didn't, never bothered with Miller and Hitch's Fantastic Four. I haven't really picked up anything else because I just look at this Captain America Reborn, and all I can see are like. All I can see are Hitch's mannerisms. He just looks like he's copying from himself now. I mean, somewhere it disappeared. It stopped being a style, and it and it started being like a collection of, of Photoshop templates or something for me. I just can't like every like. First off, this cover has more people opening their mouths on it than like you know maybe some sort of dental support comic from like 1980s that they gave out in elementary schools or something. And that that last panel where Captain America is like, you know, it's just a shot of him saying, I'm fine, and he's supposed to be looking bewildered, but it just looks like you expect him to be pointing at the A on his head and saying, like, do you think this stands for France? You know, it's it's all, it's extinguished. They, Miller and Hitch has totally, completely extinguished my goodwill um, for either of them for a certain amount of time. I'm sure I'll get it back because I think actually they are talented in some ways at the stuff that they do but like I just look at Hitch's stuff and it does it it struck me as a very dull issue um first of all you've just made me think that um Mark Miller and Brian Hitch are Wolverine because <laughs> they are what they do is just what they do isn't very pretty and secondly, <laughs> I think I think you're I think you're right in a way I want I actually thought the art in this was great because I think Butch Guys really took a lot of the hitchness off mm-hmm. the art. Um, but I'm I'm kind of surprised you didn't read the Hitch Miller Fantastic Four. Yeah, I read... And, and I, I think you should. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, well, you know, actually, after reading David uh, Uzumari's review at uh, Savage Critic of that last issue, I'm like, huh, I should really read this, because I... Remember hearing that that Mil, you know Miller had like planned this sort of triptych you know of between 1985 and the Wolverine and this Fantastic Four title and but I I you know I have like the first two or three issues uh, I I think I picked them up and they really they really I found them really boring I found them really really dull I I just Hitch's stuff just seems really dull to me like. You know how, like, you can... There, there are those artists that are, like, you know, maybe five or ten years down the line, I'll, I'll like, appreciate this. But, but, like, you know how, like, for example, like, one of the things that's great about Jim Opero is is how his stuff does have that consistency of character, and it's almost like if you... Someone gave you a script and asked you to picture how you would imagine Jim Opero drawing it, you would totally know exactly... Oh, yeah. Yes. So, so, and that's actually usually a benefit, I think, but sometimes there is a, a certain, at the time, or if there's too much of it, or there's just the sameness. I'm just so tired of people peering soulfully out at the reader from the panel while saying something. I cannot, it just, I just have no patience for it. And, and so those first couple of issues of Fantastic Four, apart from Miller doing his whole thing of like, hey, I've got an idea. These characters will be dicks, but no, I'm going to show they're awesome. You know, it's, it's kind of like that combined with the Hitch stuff where it's like, I'm going to say something and then the next panel is going to be me staring soulfully out at the panel, you know, while the next little tagline hits. I just I just have no patience for it. I, I 
you should read further. I, I was, I think it's a very, I think it's an interesting comic because you can kind of see Miller more than Hitch. Miller definitely trying to break away from what he was doing in Ultimates mm-hmm. and completely failing. Mm-hmm. I really think you can see him trying to write a different type of superhero and being so limited by what he can do. Mm-hmm. I think he's, and I, I don't know why, but I think he's become trapped in the idea that in order to make your character seem cool slash edgy, whatever, they have to just be assholes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he knows how to make a character not an idiot. And it, it's kind of fascinating to me because he always goes on about, you know, and then when I write Superman, based upon his Fantastic Four, I never let him near Superman. <laughs> Because he, what he'd do is he would create All-Star Superman, but mm-hmm. All-Star Superman from the Bizarro World, where All-Star Superman is just a jerk. Yeah. And then every like every fourth issue would be like, oh, but really I'm tragic because once upon a time I banged this chick and then she died. Like, that would be it. That would be his version of of sympathy. And I, it, would, it would just be, it would be appalling. And I don't know if it's because Miller just is incapable of coming up with sympathetic characters. Or whether he thinks the reader doesn't want to read sympathetic characters, or whatever. But he, the Fantastic Four at their heart should be characters that you sympathize with. They're supposed to be a family. They're supposed to be your family mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And he just took that away. He 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 didn't even manage it from day one. And the more he tries, like um, the thing gets married, right? And none of it is convincing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he gives you. He gives you the proposal scene, and all you can think is, this is the point where he's trying to get us to feel happy for these characters. You don't believe it. You don't fall for it at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, I, I, the idea of him writing Superman after reading his Fantastic Four is the most horrific thing in the world. Well, I think, I mean, I, I think I, I can see where he would do it, because I see where he's sort of going for in the in the first couple of issues of the Fantastic Four, I really did think that he wasn't trying to, like you said, I don't feel like he was trying to do his standard thing, but what bothered me about it was kind of his, um, I think what he feels works for him, which makes sense, because up until a certain point, he was the guy who did the well-regarded, you know, Superman Adventures comic for kids, and nobody had ever considered, you know, kind of gave him the time of day, and then he got this shot at the Authority, and so he's very, I think his idea of who he is and his ability to sort of um, be popular in the marketplace is tied into his idea of like, I'm doing these super confident characters. This It's like, I give these characters a bit of a swagger, maybe they're assholes, maybe they seem like they're assholes, but I'm doing the sort of, I'm getting away from that sort of whiny guy sort of Marvel template and I'm getting into the the, the age of like quirky characters from like a, a Bruckheimer movie who you know have eccentricities but also are incredibly good at what they do and it just it seems it just seems really tone deaf when it comes to the Fantastic Four uh, for me, um, and particularly the way that he was doing the Fantastic Four is you've got you've got one character who's like that, and of course his Human Torch character was the one who seemed the most like the Human Torch and the most like the character that I I sort of wanted to read about, 
but everyone else I really just I just didn't like you know I, I mean, yeah I, that that's the problem with his writing I, I can't think of any character in anything he's written recently mm-hmm. that is sympathetic mm-hmm. and when I say recently I'm meaning like in the last 10 years but I think it's fascinating that you're saying that on the one hand but also encouraging me to, to read those Fantastic Four issues so because I have this I have this thing about Mark Miller where I think I can only ever see the worst things in it mm-hmm I, I think I'm very blinded to his good spots. Mm-hmm. And he's got to have some. But I mean, I know that you like, for example, his um, his Wolverine run. Mm-hmm. The, the, any of us say, I mean, not, not Old Man Logan. Um, and I read it and I can see why people would like it, but it all just seems so incredibly cynically put together that I couldn't enjoy it. Well, to to return to a to sort of the comparison to like the Jerry Bruckheimer movies, you know, like um, well, gosh, and now that I'm thinking about it, maybe these were all Michael Bay movies too, but you know, stuff like The Rock or whatever, you know, like or um, what's that really absurd one with Nicolas Cage, Con Air? You know, those are incredibly cynical movies, but they do what they do pretty well so like if you pick up an issue of Wolverine I do think that there is something that can be fun about that character of like I want to see him like fight every superhero on the the planet and fuck a shark and then you can pick up an issue of that run and sure enough there he is like he stabbed all these dudes and then he jumps up and of course he's got to fuck a shark you know I think it's kind of awesome you know um, and again, like Wolverine being Wolverine, I think it's very easy for me to be like, it's okay for you to be cynical about it as long as you've got a really great take, as long as you've got a, a great little action scene. So that's the sort of stuff, you know, there are characters that you can do that with. You can do that with Wolverine. You can do that with the Punisher. You can do it with Ghost Rider. It's harder to do that with Spider-Man, you really can't do it with Captain America, and you can't do it at all with Fantastic Four, like you said, or with Superman, you know. Um, uh, there were, there was a bunch of people dumping on uh, Jeff Loeb on, uh, uh, over on the Savage Critic recently. I don't, I don't remember whose review set it off, but a whole bunch of comment threads, and people were like, I thought Jeff Loeb did good comics and, uh, until some point where everyone started hating him. What happened? And... That, that that would be me, by the way. That I was the one who started it off. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the funny thing. I think Jeff Loeb. I I would even stand up for Superman Batman. Mm-hmm. I think I think Jeff Loeb did what he did really really well mm-hmm. up until and this sounds terrible, but up until the death of his son. Right. And I think at that point his heart just went out of it. And I, 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 that sounds much more personal than it's meant to, but I just think that that affected him so strongly hmm. that his, I think he went from doing things because they were genuinely fun hmm. to doing them because he thought someone else would think they were genuinely fun. Hmm. Um, because, on, I mean, honestly, I think that Superman Batman is, don't get me wrong, it's a stupid comic, it's a dumb comic. But it's a really enjoyably dumb comic, oh, and yeah. and funny with its stupidity, up until pretty much the last arc, and the last arc is where it kind of falls to pieces because I don't know. It's as if all of a sudden he's trying to make a point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that coincides with when he signed up for Marvel again. So maybe I'm literally just reading, like, maybe at Marvel he feels like he has to write a particular type of story. But there really is a point where Jeff Loeb stopped doing enjoyably dumb comics and started doing dumb comics. I think to me the difference is uh, that it's not so much like the fun goes out of it, it's just the level of skill. Like, um, you know, Loeb kind of cut his teeth working, uh, you know, with Rob Liefeld at Rob Liefeld's company and the stuff that he was doing for, for Captain America. Actually, I mean, admittedly, you go back and he did that the Challenger stuff with Tim Sale, but I think he learned a style of storytelling that works very that works very well on autopilot, but you have to have a little something extra to not make it seem completely uh, stupid or horrible. You know, so I think, you know, even something as recent as his, as his Batman spirit crossover, which is really, really recent uh, comparatively, that was, that was actually pretty decent. It, but it sticks to Loeb's formula. He still has a formula that he sticks to. It's just that with... <clears throat> when he pays attention and he's not just kind of going through the motions, um, you know, I, I, I think you're right. But I also think it depends on who he's paired with. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I think his Hulk when he's with Ed McGuinness is actually really enjoyable. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you can make all these arguments that it's not really a Hulk book because it's pretty much like, here's an, another character who just calls himself Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun. And it's, it's again, dumb, but well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, when he, when all of a sudden he's doing with Frank Cho, it becomes something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to to agree with you. Although uh, I would still have a difficult time, like, you know, <laughs> in the world of in in the world of my worst nightmare, where there's a burning building and I only have like two sets of comics, and one is you know, Loeb and McGinnis's Hulk and the other is Loeb and McGinnis's Superman Batman. And I can only choose one set of comics. I, I do think that Hulk, it, from what I've, I've looked at, and I haven't read it that closely, there are some parts that are really amusing because I think there are parts that he's really amused by and McGinnis helps him with that. But it's nothing like that sort of, you know, that first early part of his Superman Batman run was, was, was really inspired in its uh, in its stupidity. You know what I mean? And that's that that sounds like it's damning it, but it's actually. Oh no, no! So Superman, Batman, especially when it started, was great. Yeah. I mean, it was so much everything and the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just enough that Lex Luthor was a villain. He would become a supervillain who would set all the other superheroes against Superman, Batman who then have to get all their friends to fight the other superheroes. And it was just like more and more and more. And it was really well done. And I think he's trying a really similar thing with Hulk. It's mm-hmm. just the problem with Hulk is there's not enough there there. Mm-hmm. I think there's not enough history for the character because it's this new Hulk mm-hmm. that he can really get away with that. I think if he was doing exactly the same story and it was just a different version of Bruce Banner, on the one hand, you'd lose the who is the Red Hulk part of it. But I think you'd gain a lot more because you'd read a lot more into it. Well, and I think I think that's it. I think Loeb's trying to to mix his two stories, like the big mystery story and the the like every pile on everybody and everything story, and and try and push them together. And I don't necessarily think that that that's working too well for him because of that reason. But 
you know, it's sort of like he's got the one side where he's like, oh, this is my, you know, it's like this big whodunit, who is this character, who is Hush slash Long Halloween style thing. But I'm hardly, I'm not going to have really more than two pages at a time to talk about that because the rest of the time it's, you know, Hulk, you know, picking up Thor's hammer and like smashing Iron Man on the head with it. It's like, I don't know, you know, it, it it's kind of ultimately I just flipped through it and I'm like the Superman Batman stuff just had enough of something and the Hulk stuff just doesn't. And I and I do think a lot of his Marvel stuff is very I'm not really sure that it's cynical per se because I feel like Loeb's stuff has always been cynical. I just feel that that uh that there is a you know there's there's that very fine line. There's that there there if you do it right you get you get the you get the first season of Heroes instead of the second season of Heroes, you know? But uh, it's interesting that you say that, because to me, Marvel is more cynical than DC in general. Mm, do you think? Yeah. Oh, completely. And, I, uh, and the other thing that's interesting is, when I was getting back to Captain America Reborn, when I bought the first issue, um, the people in the store, the, the, the guys behind the counter were talking about it themselves and they were complaining that the th- reasoning behind the, the plot, the reasoning behind the discovery that Captain America wasn't really dead, and spoilers to anyone who doesn't know that, um, was quote-unquote too comic book-like and too DC-like mm-hmm. for Captain America. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's a level of whimsy that you can get away with in DC. Even something like Sinestro Core War that you just can't do in Marvel books. Because Marvel, for whatever reason, has positioned itself as the quote-unquote more realistic of the two. Right. No, I absolutely, I totally agree with you. And I, I well, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that there are levels in which those work and don't work. I am sort of... Um... I mean, I don't think Brubaker's done anything wrong in... Reborn at all. Everything he's doing is tied to like really well recognized parts of Marvel history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just doing them in this particular Captain America run, which even started with the story about the cosmic cube for fuck's sake. Well, yeah, I still mean, feels weird. Mm-hmm. It's like time travel. What? I, I mean, but if you think about it, main character of Captain America right now is a guy who should have died in an explosion, wasn't said brainwashed and given cyborg arm, mm-hmm. didn't really age over a 50-year radius. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he's fighting crime besides his girlfriend, who is someone else who hasn't aged in 50 years. Yeah, You know, all of that is so fantastic that, you know, or, or the bad guys are robots with faces in their chest. And for some reason, we buy that as more realistic than time travel. Yeah, no, I know. Well, because there's that, there is just kind of a weird area. There, there are just these weird gray areas where, um, you know, I think, of course, the 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 thing about the thing that I I think really works with Ed's run is he spent so much time putting everything in place and building the credibility for pretty much all of that stuff in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, it, it, to an extent. Um, and the time travel thing is it's clear that he's pieced all that stuff into the plot, but because he didn't um, 
because he, he was, didn't hint that enough. Yeah, well, yeah, he kind of, he kind of, he didn't want to give away the reveal, so he hints at it, but he does not actually end up setting, you know. It, yeah, there's not enough there to kind of make the people kind of buy it as part of their universe. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, you know, even if you had some weird, you know, time traveling soldier like show up and kick everyone's ass like 30 years later, like every every creator's run has rules that it ends up building into it. And I think sometimes when you get something that seems tonally off, um, there's some reason, there's something that kind of jumps out of that. I mean, part of it is kind of Captain America associate, you know, there's time travel in the Marvel Universe, but when Captain America time travels, again, unless it's Captain America's bicentennial battles, it feels weird because that's not that's not who he makes, is. Yeah, it makes sense for the Fantastic Four because it's established really early and it keeps coming back. And at a certain point, it's almost like they can't escape the fucking time machine. But you know, it's sort of like when Spider-Man ends up like slugging it out with Star-Lord or something. You're kind of like it sort of doesn't feel that right, you know, or like when it's all the, the JMS's spider totem thing, there's kind of this deal of like, wow, there's a huge history with this character that does not necessarily feel that comfortable with it. Now, I'm not saying that, that for myself, I have a problem with the time travel angle in Captain America Reborn. I, I'm just saying I can sort of see why people feel like it seems out of place. Cause like you said, they have things that are set in place where it's, um, where it's like, you know, where Bucky's got a robot arm and has, you know, been in suspend, partial suspended animation for like a bajillion years. But it's not the sort of book where Captain America, you know, has been taken over by, the, the mantle has been taken, taken over by Steve Rogers the fifth from the 23rd century who's come back in time. You know, you know See, what I mean? That's, that's the crazy thing. It's almost as if Ed has been too smart he's been too subtle for himself mm-hmm. and he's going to pay the price from people feeling that he has quote-unquote betrayed mm-hmm. what the run's about and it's a shame because he really has been laying the groundwork for all of this and so you're left with a first issue that underwhelms because pretty much it tells us everything that we already know or had worked out or you had worked well, out and the rest of us had read on io9 anyway well you, no one read it anyway or the, <laughs> or the other the other thing is you either have people who are like, oh, well, of course it's that, or people who are like, well, fuck you for doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a no win. And I, I think that's a shame because I think, like I said, I think it was a pretty, it was a fine first issue. I think the series as a whole, I think it's a smart reveal, and I think the series as a whole is going to be really good. Okay. And I kind of feel like he suffers because he didn't do a I am Steve Rogers V from the 23rd century. I think if he had somehow tuned people in earlier mm-hmm. to the fact that this sort of crazy science has a place in the series, mm-hmm. then I think it would have been an entirely different response to the first issue. Well, uh, well, and I think there's... I don't know. Maybe that's why people are quiet on the internet, I think. is It's not so much a case of stolen thunder. I think that... I think there are times when people read stuff and are kind of like, yeah, I, I totally, this totally makes sense to me, but I didn't necessarily enjoy it. You know, when it's, there are times when you read something, it's not your cup of tea, but you can't fault the work 
but then people just sort of shut up about it. You know, it's very rare. Like the great thing about something like Cry for Justice is because it's a a bad comic, you read it, you go, "This is bad," and it brings up horrible feelings like I've been touched inappropriately and then you can go online and you can talk at length about it but something like Captain America Reborn you know I think the reason why it might not be getting a ton of coverage on the internet is there are lots of people who are like I can read this I know there's nothing wrong with it on the other hand I it it underwhelmed I don't really have much to say about it you know it's like it doesn't like some but like it's like the people the people will grumble at the comic book counter that it feels wrong but they can't really go online and say that because they're pretty sure that it's just them and not the book you know um, and the moral is it's not just you yes <laughs> yes it, it 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 is the book everyone yeah yeah so if it makes you feel better for that um you know although <laughs> we've I, done our job yes <laughs> Problem solved. No, but I mean, for me anyway, the, my my problem with it was mainly was mainly Hitch, uh, and and the fact that I I think pro- probably if all those pieces had fallen together for me while I was reading it, I don't know. I, it, to me, ultimately, a lot of my problems were everyone's like, hey, this is Brian Hitch. It's going to be fantastic. And again, for me, I'm kind of like in that same way that it took me about three years before I could really watch Larry Fishburne in anything again and not be like, ugh, you know? And I like Larry Fishburne a lot, so. Not um, enough, friends. Not enough. So, um... Well, so let- should we stop again and then come back? Because we've hit 32 minutes. We've actually reached a stopping point for once. Okay, um, I'll call you back and uh, we'll come up with one or two other things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs>